Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him in love. He destined us for adoption as His children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, He has made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure that He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of Him who accomplishes all things according to His counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in Him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people through the praise of His glory. This is the Word of God for the people of God. These next two sermons will be working out of this letter to the Ephesians, but there's a few things that might help us understand exactly what this author is talking about. Before where we began in verse 3, in the very first verse, in our Bibles it says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. But our best Bible scholars tell us that in the oldest of the manuscripts, in Ephesus is not there. That this was an address added later, perhaps when somebody wanted those churches or those Christians in that part of the world to read this. But in the first documents, the oldest ones that we have copies of, in Ephesus is not there. So this is more of a general Christian document fit for use in many places. Therefore, perhaps wisdom for us as well as those who were Christians in Ephesus. But also our best scholars tell us that this was probably written by a disciple of Paul rather than Paul himself. They say there's lots of contextual clues for that. But probably the most important one is that in all of Paul's letters, he's writing to people he knows, to churches he started usually. And in almost all of those, he'll give a specific greeting or salutation to someone he knows. He will call them by name and talk about his relationship with them or give them some instruction. But in this letter to the Ephesians, no such references, no individuals named as if the author does not really know to whom they are writing. The other thing that Paul does in his letters that the scholars tell us does not happen in this letter is that Paul also focuses on specific issues that he's writing to a certain group of people and they're struggling with being the church together so he will talk about the relationships they're having or the relationships they're struggling with or he might talk about some issue that they're debating and he will give his opinion or clarify for them what he thinks they should do no specific issues at all in this letter it's a much broader treatment of christian faith and belief and theology and church practice 
You might think of it more like a summary of faith or even an affirmation of faith. In the back of our hymnals, we have several affirmations of faith which summarize Christian belief. We read them as our historic documents to remind us of our great tradition and what others in the Christian tradition have thought and how they've articulated that. Ephesians is more that kind of statement, sort of a general statement of Christian doctrine or belief. It has some poetic parts, some prose parts. We think it has probably some of the liturgy from the early church that's been woven in what is written there. So there's much for us to learn here about early Christian faith and belief. And without a doubt, Ephesians contains some of the most poetic and profound theological insights in all of the Bible. It certainly strikes a strong chord for saying that grace is the key to our faith. I'll just read you one small sentence out of chapter 2, verse 8. But I would suggest to you it's the one of the most cogent summaries of Christian faith that you can find anywhere. The author writes this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Isn't that a wonderful summary of our faith? I love it when the author of Ephesians encapsulates so much in so few words. And says it so clearly and so powerfully and so beautifully. Well, Ephesians is full of those kind of statements. Now, in this section we're working on this morning, we'll find that it is shaped in the fashion of our communion prayers. In fact, it has its roots in Jewish prayers of blessing. Some theologians say it strikes this note of original blessing. That is, starting their theological thinking by looking at all the blessings God has poured out upon us and how God has created everything we need for life and life abundant and life eternal rather than starting at the traditional place of Christian theology which is with original sin and our separation from God. They point out how this author is just overflowing with words about the blessings of God. And he wants us to know how this God has been at work in the world and in our lives to bless us. These prayers of blessing follow a similar format over and over, and they always do three things. I've listed them for you in your outline. First, it addresses and names the God to whom we pray. Second, it praises and thanks God for what this loving God has done to bless us. Third, it petitions God for further help. You will see this as we move along. Let's look at verse 3. See if you can hear this naming of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You hear this specific God. He's not just writing about some God or an unknown God, but a very specific God who he refers to as our Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes on, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He tells us just in those first phrases who this God is and that this God works not only in our lives and on earth, but this is the God of the cosmos. This God works on earth and in the heavenly places. He goes on to say he gives us all spiritual blessing. This God chose us and adopted us and has forgiven us of our sins. He lists one blessing after another and details different ones as you read through all these different verses in Ephesians. 
But I particularly want us to notice this emphasis on grace and how beautifully he states it. Did you notice that in verse 6? He says, To the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved or in Christ. And then in verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. This author of Ephesians wants us to recognize the enormity of this gift. This is a life-altering gift and offer that the Lord of the universe cares about you and loves you and is extending unmerited favor or grace, God's love, to every one of us, to each and every one in the world. This is a huge offer that this author wants us to grasp the magnitude of what God has done for us. But then very specifically, he wants us to realize that God is doing this work through Christ or in Christ. Did you notice how many times he says that in verse 3? He says, in Christ. Verse 4, in Christ. Verse 5, through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, in the Beloved. But he's referring to Christ. Verse 7, in him, it goes on. Verse 9, verse 11, verse 12, verse 13. In virtually every verse of this passage, this author is referring to what God has done in Christ. As we read through it, you can realize how excited he is and you can join in this author's recognition and praising this God for what has been done for us in Christ. It is the good news of your salvation, he says later in the passage. And it's your salvation because he's writing to the Gentiles, of course. That's you. He's writing to you and me and saying this grace is available to you. This love of God is being poured out for you. It is your salvation. It's your wholeness. But he says it's not only good for now, but it's good in earth and in heaven. And this is where we can connect particularly with this passage on this Memorial Sunday when we're remembering those who have passed on to eternal life, that we can entrust those persons whom we have loved into the hands of this same loving God. Did you hear how he spoke of that in verse 10? He says this God has a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in Him or in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. This God is working through Christ to gather up all things together. That we can trust this God in life, in death, in life beyond death. This is a God who not only has a plan for us here, but has a plan for us in eternity as well. So I was working on the sermon this week and reading through this. I thought of that hymn we often sing in July Revival, God will take care of you. God will take care of you, it says. Through every day or all the way, He will take care of you. God will take care of you. I thought of that hymn by Isaac Watts. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. 
Mr. Watts goes on in the last verse to say, Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, be thou our guide while life shall last and our eternal home. This author, writing to the Ephesians and to all of us, wants us to know we can count on this God. You can trust this God. You can entrust your loved ones into the hands and the arms of this loving God, even if they have passed on on earth and in heaven. He wants us to think bigger than we usually think, to think of all that God might be doing beyond our own lives for all time and beyond time. This God you can trust. And then at the very last of this passage, he talks about that we are God's own people. And we are, all, we are God's own people so that we might live to the praise of His glory, he says. Or in, in verse 12, that once we've set our hope on Christ, that we might live for the praise of His glory. And in fact, we'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit, this author says, to live to the praise of God's glory. Does your life, Sing the praise of God's glory. I've been telling you about this book, Gardening Mercies by Lori Keeler. I've been recommending it to you for your spring and summer reading. She talks about how to grow things in your garden. She has lots of good tips for that. But she always ties that as well to how we grow in faith. This week she was talking about all the different kinds of plants you can grow that kind of are ground cover in your garden. And she talked about one that I really liked. It was, she called it White Wonder. I thought, what a great name, White Wonder. I thought I might like that for a nickname sometime. <laughs> David Wiggs, White Wonder. But I digress. But let me tell you what she says about White Wonder. It's kind of like baby's breath on growth hormones. It'll grow about two feet tall. The plants are covered with masses of small, white, pom-pom-like flowers that are bigger than baby's breath and smaller than bachelor's buttons. She says it's sometimes called fever view, and it's the ultimate garden filler. It will grow in full sun. It will grow in shade. Anywhere it can find a smidgen of soil. Plus, it looks great at twilight, like waves of billowing white frothiness. People always ask me what it is and comment on my landscaping skills. I don't let on that it's God orchestrating the wind, the birds, and the bees to spread the plant. Then she begins to talk about how we spread God's love and how God might work through our lives. She uses as an example the brothers, two of the brothers, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, that Jesus chose as disciples. She says Jesus didn't say, oh, first, you must go study, go to seminary, become expert theologians. No, he just wanted them to be available. They were fishermen, and Jesus didn't want to change their skills. He simply said to them, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men or fishers of people. You don't need any particular skill. You just need to be available. 
God will take care of the rest. You don't need any particular skill. You just need to be available. Is your life available to God? Are you looking day to day for ways that God might use you to His glory? That you might spread the love and grace of God that this author says is available to each and every one of us and has been poured out lavishly upon us. In our communion liturgy, we use the same format that I mentioned earlier in terms of the prayers of blessing. You'll notice it as we read through the liturgy that first we will address and name the God to whom we pray. Second, we will sing our praises, read our praises and thanks to God for what this loving God has done to bless us in so many ways. And then third, we will petition God or ask God to help us. Particularly, you will notice in this liturgy this morning that what we ask of God is that we might be made one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. I hope you'll join us as we read through that and pray through that, that your life in Christ might be one that sings the praises of God throughout all of the world. May it be so for each of us. Amen.